Hey, good morning, everybody. Happy New Year. Can you believe today is January the 1st, 2012? That just blows my mind. You know what this means? That all of us here this morning are graduates of the year 2011. Hey, congratulations. Can you give yourself a hand for making it through 2011? Today's message is actually a commencement address to you graduates as you begin this new year. Commencement addresses are designed to encourage graduates as they embark on a new journey. And I have a feeling 2012 is going to be an amazing, incredible, energy-filled, excited New Year, where we're going to experience all kinds of amazing things that God is going to do in our lives. I'm going to tell you a story. Well, you woke up this morning to a new year, but how would you like to go to bed tonight as a new you in the year 2012? There's hope. God says, with me, all things are possible. Do you believe that this morning? With God, all things are possible. And so I want to tell you a story about a man who went to bed one night, got up the next morning like he always did, but he went to bed that night as a new man. Stories are so powerful. One of our students at Crossroads College posted on her Facebook page something that explains this truth about the power of stories, and I want to share it with you this morning. And I quote, stories have the power to improve this world by transporting you to another and bringing you back as a different person. So let me take you this morning to the world of first century Palestine to a special event called the Passover. It was both a feast and a festival commemorating God's divine power and his intervention into human history. It was during this time that many Passover pilgrims would make their way from wherever they lived to Jerusalem to celebrate and remember God's deliverance of his people out of Egypt. So Jesus and His disciples and a crowd of people were traveling from Galilee, which is situated in northern Palestine, to Jerusalem in the south. And he pulled aside 12 disciples, those men who had been with him for three years or so, and began to explain to them what was written by the Old Testament prophets concerning him, the fact that he would go to Jerusalem, the fact that he would be mocked, that He would be ridiculed, that he would be made fun of, that he would be betrayed, that he would be beaten and eventually hang on a cross and die and be buried and then he would raise from the dead. And what's interesting to me is these men had a hard time understanding who Jesus really was at this time. But as they left Galilee and as they traveled down along the Jordan River, they came to Jericho, which was the gateway city to Jerusalem from the east. It was located about 15 to 18 miles northeast of Jerusalem. And at this time, there were actually two Jerichos. 
The Old Testament Jericho that we know, the one that Joshua, you know, marched around and the walls fell and, and all of that, the story that's found in Joshua. But there was a second Jericho during the New Testament times. It was called Herodian Jericho because this was the one that Herod built. He turned this old city into a garden city, a palatial estate. From 134 B.C. to about A.D. 70, the city covered hundreds of acres, and there were tens of thousands of Jews who lived there. So Judaism was a very um, religious presence in that city during this time. Now, scholars tell us that the name Jericho may be connected to the ancient name of the Canaanite moon god. So the point is that there was a mix of religions that were taking place. There was Judaism, there was secular religion, which means that there was a syncretism uh, during this time. It had to be a popular religious attraction to the people, just like it is today. People were searching. People were searching for a religious tonic that would bring healing to their broken souls. And what they found is what people are finding today, that it always comes up short. It's always empty. The point is that this city was not just a little dirt spot in the side of the road. The people who lived there liked to celebrate. They would line the streets when big events came to town. It was almost a Times Square atmosphere in Jericho. So it's in this city that we pick up our story in Mark chapter 10, beginning with verse 46. And the Bible says, and they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, Have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and he came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Can I pray for you this morning? Father, I pray today that you would help all of us as blind beggars sitting on the side of the road to be able to see you in a new way. God, I pray that you would penetrate our hearts and that you would create change in our lives that we could never create ourselves. Help us to see the barriers that are before us and the steps that we can take to become a new you. And Father, get me out of the way that people would be able to hear you this morning. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Here's the good news today for you. Change is possible. Change is possible for you. Not just for a new year, but for the rest of your years. I want to help you this morning take some first steps to a new you. And I've used the word first to identify some barriers that are preventing us from taking those steps and then some steps that you can take to become a new you. Change is definitely possible. Now, these are five barriers that this man had to overcome in his life, and probably the same is true for you and for me. The first one is probably the hardest because it's a mental barrier. It's the fixation with the thinking that nothing can or will change. After all, this man had been sitting by the side of the road day after day after day after day after day, month after month, year after year. It had to have affected his mental state of mind. It just had to have affected it. How many times, I wonder, did he ask the question, why doesn't anything ever change? Or it could devolve into this question, will anything ever change? And some of you may be asking that question this morning. You are stuck. You're fixated in your mind and thinking, will anything ever change in my life? The second barrier is a social barrier. It's intimidation from other people. It's amazing to me how intimidation from other people can cause me to live in fear. What about you? His life may have been governed by this question, what will other people think? If I say this, or if I do this, or if I try to change, what will other people think? And this man could have lived his life governed by what others thought. The third barrier is an emotional barrier. It's the reservation about setting goals and sharing goals. There's a reticence about making public commitments. Maybe you're here this morning and you, you, you really have a reservation about making a public commitment. After all, this blind beggar could have asked himself, who would want to hear my goals in the first place? I'm just a blind beggar. I'm just a man sitting by the side of the road. Who cares about my plans? Who cares about me? What if I fail? What will I look like? You know, if I set this goal and I fall short, I I don't know if I'm going to be able to live up to those goals. The fourth barrier is a spiritual barrier, and it's a satisfaction with religion and the status quo. All the while that he was stuck in the status quo of religion, he had to have asked himself this question, when will I experience the supernatural power of God? In other words, where is God in all of this? Where is God in my mess? Where is God as I sit here day after day after day on the side of the road waiting for something to change? Which leads to the fifth barrier, the physical barrier, and that's the temptation to do nothing. No action, stay put, keep sitting. But the question here is, how long am I going to be sitting here before something changes? Why even try to change? The point is this, that these are real barriers. 
You may be bumping up against these. We all are bumping up against one or more of these in our lives. But God is giving you an opportunity today to take some steps that will change your life. Probably will change your family. Possibly will change this community. And potentially will change the world. Wow. What an opportunity. Now, some of you may be sitting here and you're saying, hmm, I don't know if I can do that. I feel like quitting. Already on the first day of this new year, you feel like quitting. You feel like throwing in the towel. You feel like, you know, going home, putting your head under the pillow, pulling up the covers and just staying there for life. You're ready to throw it, throw it in. You're ready to quit. Listen to the word that God has for you. Look at this verse. God gives a fresh start to those who are ready to quit. God gives a fresh start to those willing to take steps to become a new you. Are you ready to take some steps this morning? You woke up as one person. You can go to bed tonight as a brand new you. First step is this, found in verses 46 and 47 in our text. Seize the moment. Seize the moment. This was an ordinary day for this man. He was sitting by the roadside. He was a blind beggar. He was begging for alms, that which would satisfy his physical need. Everything was ordinary that day. He got up, he went to his spot, he sat there, and he waited. Everything was ordinary until something happened. Jesus showed up. This man was presented with an opportunity. In other words, it was his moment in time. And he had a decision to make. Am I going to seize the moment or am I going to let it slip by? What made the difference for him? It was who showed up. It was who that was passing by. The Bible tells us he was sitting there, crowd began to make the noise, and he asked, what's going on? And somebody told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. Now, when the word Nazareth is coupled with the word Jesus, normally it's a phrase of contempt. See, this wasn't any old Jesus. There were a lot of people during that time whose name was Jesus. This could have been Jesus from Decapolis. Wouldn't have made any difference at all. But it was Jesus of Nazareth. He knew in his heart that this Jesus was the son of David. The son of David is a messianic title. It refers to the promised one. Don't forget, part of Jesus' messianic role was to give sight to the blind. Here was a blind beggar crying out for mercy to the only one who could heal his broken soul. And he had enough vision in his heart to see Jesus for who he really was. In contrast to 12 people who had been with Jesus for about three years who was still trying to figure out who this guy was. 
Now, isn't that interesting to you? It is to me that here was a blind man sitting by the side of a road in a city called Jericho who believed in his heart Jesus of Nazareth was the son of David, and he cried out, have mercy on me. It was an open confession of who Jesus was. Remember the first barrier, thinking that nothing can or will ever change? Here's good news. Jesus can and will do something in your life that you can never do yourself. But are you desperate enough to cry out? See, the question is not, will anything ever get any better? The question is, what God-sent opportunity is before you today? What divine appointment has God dropped in your lap? And are you going to seize the moment or going to let it slip by? Look what Jesus says, Luke chapter 9. He said, no procrastination, no waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. No backward looks. Hey, 2011 is already history. You can't change what's back there. You, can, you can't put off God's kingdom till tomorrow. Seize the day. This is Jesus' word to you this morning. Seize the moment. Second step, trade your fear. Do you realize that fear has the power to paralyze your potential? It's the one thing that will prevent you from becoming a new you. It's interesting in verse 48 that this man was facing social rejection. It says many, not some, not one, not few. It says many rebuked him, telling him to be quiet. People were trying to silence him. People were disapproving of what he was doing. Shouting to Jesus in a crowd wasn't a popular thing to do. But he was desperate. Maybe they were trying to shut him up because they saw him as an insignificant member of society. Kind of a throwaway man. Expendable. A worthless human being. After all, what was he contributing to society? What was he contributing to this wealthy, sophisticated city? It would have been easy, very easy for him to live in fear and live for the approval of others. And how many times do we shrink back in fear because we're living for someone else's approval? Do you know what that's called? That's called codependency. Not this guy. And what's amazing in verse 49, the Bible says Jesus stopped and said, call him. In the midst of all of the noise, in the midst of all of the confusion, in the midst of all of the hubbub in that city, Jesus heard this man's cry. And the text says, Jesus stopped. Remember, he was on his way to the cross. He was a busy guy. He was trying to develop these 12 disciples. He was trying to keep the universe intact. He, was a, he, was, he had a whole lot of things going on. And he heard this man's cry, have mercy on me, and he stopped. This was the cry that stopped 
God in his tracks. Jesus told his disciples to call this guy over. In verse 50, it says, he threw off his cloak. This was his outer garment. This was something very valuable to a blind man. It might seem like an insignificant act to us, but just think, this was a piece of security for this man. It was a valuable thing in his hands, and to let it go beyond his reach was amazing. It's It was a bit strange for this blind man to discard something so valuable. But here's what I think was happening. I think that this guy was so humbled by Jesus hearing him and taking time for him that he was willing to put aside everything that he was depending upon for comfort and security in his life, and he came to Jesus. Wow. What are we holding on to? Now, what do you think Jesus thought? I think he was happy. I think he was elated. In fact, I think Jesus was delighted in this man's response because Jesus accepted him just like he was. He didn't say, you know, hey... um, Dude, go over to the doctor, check, get a checkup, get a prescription, get a pair of glasses, and come back and see me, and we'll talk. He didn't say, hey, you know, you've been sitting in this dirt all day. Why don't you go home, take a shower, get cleaned up? When you got it all together, when everything is okay and everything is right in your life, you, you come back, and, and we'll talk then. He didn't do that. He accepted this man just like he was. See, the question is not, what will people think? The question is, what will God think? This man traded his fear by trusting Jesus. God did not give us a spirit of fear. He gave us a spirit of power, of love, and self-control. Here's the difference. Look at this verse in Proverbs 29. The fear of human opinion disables you. It paralyzes you. It sets you aside. It puts you on the shelf. But trusting in God protects you from that. He seized the moment. He traded his fear. And thirdly, he expressed his faith. Jesus asked the man, what do you want me to do for you? Why did he ask this? Didn't he know already? Why would he ask? He asked for the same reason that he is asking you that same question today. He wants you to publicly announce your faith. See, this man believed. He knew that Jesus of Nazareth was Jesus, the son of David. He believed that in his heart. He cried out, have mercy upon me. And Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus was waiting for him to publicly express his faith. And when he did, it made a difference. Here's a principle. I want want you to get this principle. God-given goals are an expression of faith. Every time that we express our goals publicly, 
Jesus is developing our faith. Every time that you express your faith publicly, Jesus is developing your faith. Remember a few weeks ago when Pastor Darren stood up and said, these are the goals for the next 10 years at Heartland Church. You know what God was doing at that moment? God was developing his faith. He was expressing these God-given goals, and what God was doing was developing his faith. One of those goals was that we would become the most spiritually mature church in America. Now is your time to express your personal goals related to this big goal so God can develop your faith. If you have never trusted Jesus as your personal Savior and you've never been baptized, now is the time. If you have, God's plan for you is to grow spiritually, to become spiritually mature as you continue to walk with Jesus every day of your life. Look at these verses, Galatians chapter 3. Christ's life is the fulfillment of God's original promise. Christ's life is the original fulfillment of God's promise in you. He created you to become like Jesus. Romans 8, from the very beginning, God decided that those who came to him and he knew who would should become like his son. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, God wants us to grow up like Christ in everything. Here's the question. What God-sized goal does God want you to express today, in the next week, in the next month, in the coming months, and in the year 2012? How can I express my faith publicly? Because God wants to develop your faith. There are several opportunities that are coming up for you in the, next, in the next several weeks. Next week, we launch our first conference, January the 8th through the 10th. You're, you can make a public expression of your faith today by saying, I am going to be there for every one of those services because I know God will change my life. The small group study that we're going to be uh, entering into as a church, beginning with the sermon series next Sunday, Walking Into Walls, a study guide will be available to all of the group leaders next Sunday. That's an opportunity for you to get plugged in to a group of people who will help you become spiritually mature in your journey with Jesus. Serving at Hamilton Southeastern Campus, Pastor Darren has said before, 300 people, we are praying that 300 people from this service will go and start serving at Hamilton Southeastern Campus. Why? So your faith will be developed. Public expressions of your faith develop your faith. Class 101, Discovering Heartland, is coming up January the 29th. A brand new class that we're offering here at Heartland is class 201 called Discovering Spiritual Maturity will be offered January the 29th. An opportunity for you to make a public commitment. Our School of Church Leadership is offering a course this spring called Spiritual Formation. Two concentrated weekends for you to be involved in a spiritually maturing process helping you to develop 
your faith. What am I saying in all of this? Jesus is asking, what do you want me to do for you? Will you make a public expression of your faith? Now, if you're a little leery about making public expressions or public commitments in your faith, let me ask you to do something. Let me ask you to picture in your mind an image of the crucifixion. And I want you to listen to these words of Maria Teresa Porcile, who wrote, and I quote, How can we defend our poor privacy while the Lord of glory is exposed naked on a cross for all the world to see? Allowing ourselves to be seen in our search for God is to show ourselves as beggars of the cross. It is perhaps the true marrow of Christian identity. You may be thinking, how can I do this? I mean, really, I don't think that I have the strength. Well, that's where the next step comes into play. Number four, possess and practice God's grace. See, the man in our story received God's grace, and we need God's grace in our lives to make it through life because we cannot make it ourselves. You remember the fourth barrier, satisfaction with religion and the status quo? This is how you try to go through life, being religious in your own strength. Have you found out that that plan is exhausting? Have you found out that trying to do spiritual things in your own strength just makes you tired all of the time? See, this man allowed Jesus to minister to him, and as he was healed, he declared his need for Jesus. He received God's grace in his life as a gift of faith. What part of my life needs God's supernatural intervention? Look at this verse, John 1. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. Supernatural blessings come from the supernatural intervention of God through his grace as we receive it into our lives. Once he received this grace, he began to practice grace. What does it mean to practice grace? G.K. Chesterton helps us here. He says, and I quote, You say grace before meals? All right. But I say grace before the play and the opera. And grace before the concert and the pantomime. And grace before I open a book. And grace before sketching, before painting, before Swimming, before fencing, before boxing, before walking, before playing, and before dancing. And grace before I dip the pen in the ink. See, this blind beggar was blessed with God's best, and his life was never the same. And this leads to the next step, number five. Step out and follow Jesus wherever he leads. And here's what I want you to realize. We are all blind people sitting by the side of the road. All of us are. I remember a time in my life when I was blind to the fact that I was to serve the needs of my wife. See, I thought marriage was kind of a serve me, serve me thing. My self-interest was 
getting the best of me. And I thought, well, hey, you know, this marriage thing ought to be pretty simple because if she would just serve me, life would be a whole lot better. And then I realized I was, oh, it, was, it, it was like God opened my eyes because I saw what that was doing in her life. And when I began to serve her as, as God instructs me to do, that made life totally different. And I was blinded early on in um, our child-rearing days. As a father, I thought, I thought that force was the best answer. I thought it was the answer to everything. And it was when somebody pulled me aside and opened my eyes to the fact that, hey, I've got three different children. I've got three different children with three different personalities. And they learn differently and they act differently and they have different abilities. And and I have to treat each one as an individual. And it, it was like my eyes were open to this, to this new reality of how to deal with children as a dad, as a parent. I was blinded at one point in my life in ministry when I was a pastor. And, you know, I would do all the right things and go through all the right motions. And, you know, it just seemed like that nothing would ever happen. And then there was this crisis that came into my life and my eyes were open to the supernatural reality of God and his grace and his presence and his power. And life changed for me at that particular point. We are all blind beggars sitting by the side of the road, crying out for God's mercy. But I want you to see the contrast in this man's life. In verse 46, he was sitting on the side of the road. He was blind. He was a beggar. He was depending upon other people. But in verse 52, what was happening? He was walking. He was on the road. He was praising God. He was connected with a group who were following Jesus. What a difference. Not only did he have sight physically, but he had insight spiritually. What a difference. Which of these two describe you right now? Which of these two would you like to describe you? See, here's a man who acted on his faith. Listen to the word of the Lord in James chapter 2. If people say they have faith, but do nothing, their faith is worth nothing. You may be like this man in our story, You got up this morning thinking that your day would be the same as it normally is. You got up, you had no idea that you were going to encounter Jesus who just happened to be passing by today. He stopped because he heard the cry of your heart. He's taking time for you. He's asking you the question, what do you want me to do for you? And he's waiting on your answer. He wasn't too busy. And he's giving you an opportunity to take steps of faith, just like this man in our story. Let me close with 
Let me close my commencement address to you this morning with a quote from Steve Jobs who delivered a commencement address several years ago to Stanford graduates. He said, when I was 17, I read a quote that went something like, if you live each day as if it were your last, someday you'll most certainly be right. Since then, I've looked in the mirror every morning and I ask myself, if today were the last day, of my life, what I want to do, what I'm about to do today. And whenever the answer has been no for too many days in a row, I know I need to change something. Your time is limited. Don't let the noise of others' opinion drown out your own inner voice. And most important, have the courage to follow your heart and your intuition because everything else is secondary. I would substitute at the end of that quote these words. And most important, take the step to follow Jesus wherever he leads because everything else is secondary. Has it been too many days in a row for you going through life doing the same thing over and over and over, expecting a different result? Does something need to change in you today? If so, and your question is, when can I start? I have good news. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Here's Jesus' call to you. Seize the moment by trading your fear and trust Jesus. Express your faith by practicing God's grace and step out and follow Jesus today. Would you bow your heads as we close this morning? You may be here and you need to express your faith today what's in your heart. One way you can do that is to say this prayer or something similar. Father, I've always believed in you and Jesus Christ, but my heart's most fundamental trust was elsewhere in my own competence and in my own decency. This has only gotten me in trouble. As far as I know, my own heart today I give it to you I transfer my trust to you and ask that you would receive and accept me not for anything that I've done but because of everything Christ has done for me if this is your heart cry this morning this begins a lifelong process of being conformed to the image of Jesus in your life and the most important thing that you could do today would be to publicly express that faith. And Father, I pray for each person. I pray that you, as you have worked in each of our hearts in different ways today, would give us the courage to seize the moment and trade our fear by trusting Jesus, expressing our faith by practicing grace, 
and following Jesus wherever he leads us in the days to come. Thank you for doing what only you can do in our lives. May we see you for who you really are today. In Jesus' name, amen.